Hebrews chapter 11, we'll um, review just a, a verse or two here and then we'll get into tonight's message. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse number 1, we read, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made uh, of things which do appear. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the faith that you have given us. The faith, uh, Lord, to believe, to trust. The faith to see beyond the veil of, of shadows that, uh, that, that conceal the uh, spiritual world from the eyes of those who live in darkness. And Father, we ask that you would bless us as we uh, conduct this study tonight. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, minds, and teach us and instruct us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Wednesday evening, I um, spoke concerning the provisions of faith, the, the things that faith imparts to us uh, by virtue of the, of the quickening of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we gave you, I believe it was three things last Wednesday. Uh, that we talked about, and, and those things are, are um, things that, that God does for us. Uh, the repentance uh, from sin, the remission of sin, and the righteousness that we gain through Jesus Christ. These are, these are things that come to us by virtue of faith, and, and, and they're the provisions of faith. Now tonight, I'd, I'd like to take a look at uh, the products in our life by faith. By virtue of the faith we have, what are the, what are the products of that faith? What things are produced in our life um, by virtue of that faith? And that's what I'd like to consider and look at tonight. So, to um, try to move us along here, let's begin with number one tonight. I'd like to say that we live with hope. By our faith, we live with hope. And we just read in, in, in um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the substance the substance or the meat of the things that we hope for. And, and certainly there are many things that you and I tonight, as Christians, hope for. We, things we look forward to that, that God has, has said we'll, we'll, we will have. And, and so we, we live with this hope. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, Paul says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. So it's God's will that, that by, by the faith he's given us that we would abound in hope. That, that we, would, we would grow and that we would uh, develop as, as mature believers. And, and this through, through hope. And through the hope given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the definition of hope is a desire of some good accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it. Or a belief that is obtainable. Uh, now hope is an expectation. But unlike the definition we just looked at, our spiritual hope is not simply a slight expectation. Uh, it is a sure and steadfast hope. In, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19 we read, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. So the hope that we have tonight is a sure hope. 
It is not, a, it is not as the definition states, a slight expectation. Now, I expect to awaken in heaven after I die. But I don't, I don't slightly expect. I fully expect to awake in heaven. Uh, now, that I know that there are, there are lots of people that feel the same way. My Roman Catholic relatives feel the same way. However, the hope they have based upon their faith is only a slight hope. There's only a slight expectation. And therefore, many of them will in fact awaken to the flames and fires of hell. And of course, none of us hope that upon anyone. But you and I tonight have a sure hope. Even though we have not seen that for which we hope for, we are assured by the Holy Spirit that our hope will be fulfilled. Do you ever think about that? I've never seen Jesus, have you? I've never seen the pearly gates. The only, thing, the, only, the only thing that gives me hope is the faith that God has given me to believe. So hope, uh, faith is the a, a, is a, is a substance of our hope. Um, we have full assurance tonight that if we have believed unto salvation, then we can live in this glorious hope. Now, it would literally take months, if not years, to fully explore this matter of hope that we find in scripture and certainly I don't think you want to sit here for years so we're, we're, we're not going to be able to look at every single little bitty little aspect of, of the hope that we have um, but if you'll allow me tonight I'm just going to focus on a couple of the elements that we find in this hope so what are we hoping tonight let me, let me share two thoughts with you first of all we have a sure hope of redemption. As you and I sit here tonight, as, as, we have been, uh, as we have been measured faith from God, that we have been uh, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we've been redeemed uh, unto God, we've been, we've been um, um, I went blank, we've been granted access to God, we've been given fellowship with God. As we do that, as we sit here tonight, we have a hope in redemption in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, we read, But let us, who are of the day, be sober. Now that word sober, of course, means serious. We should be serious about our faith. And we should impart to our children the gravity of our faith. These little children that sit in our auditorium tonight should be taught about the sureness and the, and the certainty of the hope we have in Christ through our faith. This is a very important. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here, Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica that he says, we have been, we, God did not appoint us to wrath or to judgment. God has appointed us to salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a, this is a, a, a defense for uh, the belief of election. Uh, we were not, you and I, those of us who are children of God, we, we are not appointed to wrath. We are appointed unto redemption. And, and we see that. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, 
we read, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Before God uh, did any work of creation, he promised salvation to his chosen people. And this is a, this is a sure hope. A, a God doesn't lie. He cannot lie. And in his, in his proclamation to us, we have that steadfast hope of redemption. Now, perhaps using the word hope is confusing a little bit concerning salvation. For you see, I do not hope to go to heaven tonight. I know that I am going to heaven tonight. Uh, yet the scripture uses the word hope to contrast the desolate condition of those who are not saved. Those who are without hope for, for eternal life. Uh, those who are lost are, 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 have no hope of, of, of life. And we have a hope, but it's a sure hope. But how blessed tonight we are to live with the assurance of redemption. And this is the substance spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. The surety of eternal life, which is what we call our hope in Christ. Of redemption through Jesus Christ. So tonight we have, we have this steadfast hope in redemption. But secondly, letter B, we have a steadfast hope in righteousness. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 5, we read, For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. If you recall, we spoke of, uh, of this righteousness last week when we talked about the provisions of faith. I told you that we have been given the righteousness which is in Christ Jesus at the moment of our salvation. Uh, we, we studied and said that, that the righteousness was imputed to us. Remember that? Now, my, high, my former high school students should be able to know what that means because I illustrated it in chapel. You guys remember that? Huh? I, I, I injected uh, Richie with my righteousness. Huh? Yeah. And, and, and I, that's exactly, basically what it means when God says we, that righteousness is imputed to us, you go to the doctor, and the doctor will inject uh, a serum into you, and he will inoculate you against disease and, and and things such as that. Now, God didn't literally come and, and inject anything into us, but that's the meaning of imputed. It means to it means to insert. It means to 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 put into. So God, as you sit here tonight, and as I sit here tonight, He has imputed. Into us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we have, we have his righteousness. So this, this righteousness has, was imputed to us at the moment of our, our salvation. However, listen to me closely. This righteousness is not complete in our mortal bodies. So we've been, we've been, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us in a spiritual sense. Therefore, when God looks at, at us, when he looks into us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. However, on the outside, in our mortal bodies, we still dwell in our sinful flesh. And in my flesh, there is no good. We, we know this from scripture. We still dwell in our sinful flesh. And at times, we are still overcome by this flesh. 
But tonight we live in the hope, the expectation that this flesh will be changed. That this corruptible will put on incorruption. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read in verses 51 through 53, Paul writes, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, not all Christians will die. Some will be alive at at the rapture of the church. We shall not all sleep, he says, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. In that day when, when the Lord returns in the clouds and the trumpet sounds and the shout, the shout of the archangels are heard, then we will all be ra- raised to be with Christ in the clouds. And we will be changed in a moment. This flesh will, will, be, will be stripped from my my, my new creature and, and the corruption of my flesh will be done away with and I will appear before Christ incorruptible I will appear before Christ in complete perfection I will stand before him with total righteousness what a, what a glorious thing this is what a blessing that we who deserve to, to, to spend eternity in hell away from our, our creator. What a, what a blessing to know that we will stand in his presence in purity and incorruptible. However, while we dwell on this earth by faith, he has imputed to us, he has given to us the righteousness of Christ. That if we submit and yield ourselves and live our life in submission to Christ, in obedience to the word of God... We, will, we can walk in righteousness. We can be righteous at times. Not perfection, but we can walk in the righteousness of Christ. In that day we, when we shall be changed, we will all walk in true righteousness before the Father. However, at this time we must learn to yield to the Holy Spirit of God. We must heed his to his guidance in our life, allow him to manifest God's grace through us that Christ may be seen in me before this generation. That's the will of God, that Christ be seen in us. Now, if we live our lives carelessly and if we succumb to the, to the temptations of the flesh, if we, as I've heard so many times, claim our right to live my own life and nobody can tell me what to do, then we fail. We fail in allowing Christ to be seen in us. Now, I'm not talking about lifestyle evangelism. I'm talking about living your life in the holiness that God demands of us, walking in, in his presence, not, not to put on a show, not so that everybody can see how holy you are, but in humility, in sincerity, walking before God, knowing that he sees you at every moment. And this needs to be a reality to every Christian. You know, I'll confess a sin to you tonight. When I was, when I was just saved, not very long, um, I, when I got saved, I knew I, I had the ability to quit smoking. And I've... My wife has known this before. 
I had told her I had quit smoking. I basically, I'd lied to her. And I'd smoke behind her back. And I wanted to quit, but if, you've, if any of you have ever smoked, you know how difficult it can be. And I remember I got saved, and, and, I, and I made God a promise. I said, Lord, if, as, long as, as long as, every time I, I have an urge to smoke, I'm going to drop to my knees, I'm going to pray, and, and I'm going to keep praying until you take that urge away. Well, I got saved on the Sunday, and on that following week, on Tuesday, we were pouring concrete on the job site. And um, one of the concrete finishing guys whipped out a pack of cigarettes. And my friend, the friend that had witnessed to me, Mike Alpha, hadn't arrived yet because I arrived early to get them all set up. And so I said, you know, I could hurry up and smoke one of those before Mike gets here. And he wouldn't know. So I walked over to the guy and I said, hey, man, could I bum one of those cigarettes? I'm talking in smoker's talk now. Could I bum one of those cigarettes from you? And and he, he gave it to me and I brought it to my lips and I was about to light it. And the Holy Spirit, just as clear as day, said, what are you doing? And I stopped and I thought, wait a minute. It doesn't matter if Mike sees me or not. God sees me. And my promise was to God. And so I gave the cigarette back and I said, never mind, I don't need it. And you know, honestly, in all those years, 32 plus years, that was the last time I ever had an urge to smoke. Never again. Never again did I have even one desire and, and you know, folks, if we can just learn, if we can just learn to yield to the Spirit of God, not so that others around us can say, oh, look how righteous they are, look how holy they are, but just in humility, submit to God and, and humble ourselves before God. Before you turn that television set on, is what you're going to see God-worthy. Before you listen to uh, the radio or before you you do anything is what you're about to do glorifying to God. And I'm not standing right here saying I've mastered this. Please, believe me, I, I need to apply these questions. As I said Sunday, I'm preaching to myself right now. But if we can just learn to walk in the righteousness that God has enabled us to walk in by virtue of our faith, what a, what, a, what a wonderful thing it would be for the church of God. So, first, um, tonight, I, I, through our faith, we, we live with hope. Secondly, uh, by, by our faith, we walk in happiness. Psalm 144 and verse 15, the, the psalmist writes, Happy is that people that in such a case... That is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Let me, let me tell you, if you are a child of God tonight, if you've been born again, you've been saved, you have absolutely no reason to not be happy. You know, it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, what? The judgment. But guess what? Because we are God's children, it is appointed us to once it is appointed unto us once to die, and then no judgment. Eternal salvation. What in the world do you have to not be happy about? Because your dryer quit working? Because your car gets fifteen miles to a gallon? 
Well, there might be a reason to not be happy there. <laughs> you know, we are so materialistic. We are the most materialistic generation of Christians that's ever lived. And we don't want to think we are, but we are. Because we just can't live without our cell phones. We just can't live without our computers. We just can't live unless we have all the luxuries life can afford us. Yet we claim we're not materialistic. Think about your forefathers. Think about the Christians in, in the 14th and 15th and 16th centuries who, who, were, who, re, who rejoiced when they faced martyrdom. Last time I checked, none of us in America faced martyrdom. Hmm? And, and we have become, in America, so materialistic. And once again, I'm preaching to myself. And we just need to learn to be happy because God is our Lord. And we shouldn't need anything else. Now, happiness is something that everyone seeks. All of us desire to be happy, right? I mean, I think something is wrong with you if you desire to be miserable. If you wake up in the morning and you say, I just, you know what, I just want to stay miserable all day long. I don't want to be happy. Something's wrong with you if you, don't, if you don't want to be happy. Happiness is something everyone seeks. People seek happiness, though, in, in so many ways. Yet there are more people living in misery than in joy. And I fear it's largely because we are seeking happiness in the wrong places. The places we're going to try to find happiness will never bring happiness. They will just bring more want, more desire, and more emptiness. So where do we find happiness? Well, I'll refer to scripture to answer that question. Happiness is derived from, first, the fear of the Lord. Psalms 28 and verse 14. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Happiness is found, is derived from a fear of the Lord. Of course, we understand that by fear of the Lord, we're talking about reverence, not terror. Although we should fear the wrath of God. Because his wrath is swift. And, and, and you, won't want, you wouldn't want to face the wrath of God. There is no happiness, no contentment, no peace for the man that does not revere and show reverence for God. A sincere reverence for God will keep you from error in your life. You know, when I was a boy, I feared my father. Now, I didn't fear him, that, I didn't fear that he was going to physically harm me. I didn't fear that, that he was going to, uh, you know, hurt me in any kind of way. But I feared his wrath. I feared his anger. And I desired to show him respect and to do the things he expected of me. And I learned that, now you, you young children, listen to me. I learned that when I did what my father expected me to do, life was so good. I learned that. I, I learned it partly because my older siblings warned me. <laughs> See, I didn't, I didn't have to get too many whippings because I heard about the whippings they got. And I said, oh, that's not for me. When I showed respect to my dad, everything was good. But when I disobeyed him, 
things went bad very fast. So we apply this same thing to to God. When we have a reverence, when we have a fear of God, when, when we, by virtue of our respect for him and by virtue of of the, the, the wrath of God when we learn to do what he expects of us and he does have expectations for us and when we, when we can learn to live our lives in accordance with God's expectations for, for us life is going to be good and, and we're going to be happy so happiness first comes from a fear of the Lord but secondly let her be it comes from a trust in God. Happiness comes from trust in God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Solomon writes, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. You know, most of the time the reason we're unhappy is because we made poor decisions. And those poor decisions have put us in a state of stress and distress. So if we just learn as as Solomon, and by the way, you know, Solomon was a pretty smart guy. Because we all know that no man that's ever lived, no mortal man that's ever lived had, had the wisdom of Solomon. God gave him complete wisdom. So he says that if we just learn to fear the Lord, trust him and acknowledge him. He will guide our paths. He will direct us and he will lead us and we will be happy. It has been my experience in life that my most miserable days have come as a result of making decisions without putting my trust in God. Now that is not to say that I didn't, I didn't trust him in the sense that I felt the, the, uh, the Lord uh, needed to be ignored. His counsel needed to be, was imperfect and needed to be ignored. It simply means that I forgot to seek his counsel. I forgot to go to him first in prayer. And I forgot to, to, to pray for a, a guidance and, and seek an answer. You know, if you sincerely, by the way, sit in my notes, this is extra and no charge. If you go to God, if you're his child, now you listen to me, and you go to him in sincere, earnest prayer and ask God to give you the counsel you need, he will give you that counsel. Over the years, when I had to make decisions, I'd get down and i kneel and i pray that God would give the pastor the wisdom that he needs to give me the counsel that he wants me to have. And then I've got, I get up and I go sit with the pastor and I, I ask him to give me the counsel and, and I trust that God will give him what I need and what he says I do. So often I've, I've, I've had, I've, people have come to me and I said, listen, what you need to do is pray about this first and, and then go, go talk to the pastor and, and do whatever he tells you to do. Just do whatever he says. Just trust him. And, and that's what, we, that's what uh, we need to do. We need to learn to seek and trust the counsel of God. Anytime I had a, a mess, it's because I got ahead of God. I trusted my flesh to make the decision and followed my own experience and my own counsel. And the end result usually ended up poor. 
Learn to trust God. Even when doing what, what we're told may not be what we want to do. You know, Brother, Brother Gary can probably attest to this. Over the years, all the people I've counseled to, they don't come to me, they don't come counsel with me for an answer. They come, and they come counsel with me so I can validate what they want to do. And when I give them what I think from the scripture, that's not what they wanted to hear. So they go away, and sometimes later I found out they did what they wanted to do. We need to learn to trust the Lord. And if we trust him, now we all know that God is not going to come down with a, and speak to us in a, in a literal voice. And we know that as we're praying, he's not going to drop something out of heaven in our lap. He's going to... He's going to to guide us to the, to the right counsel, to men in our, uh, our pastor and to, to, to wise men in our church. We need to learn to trust that. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, we read, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Again, in Proverbs 16, Solomon says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. God can establish counsel in your thoughts. In his great wisdom, Solomon knew that trusting in God was the only way to be happy in this life. But knowing this didn't keep him from following his own heart. And the result was that Solomon led a miserable life. And if you don't believe he led a miserable life... Listen to what he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2. He wrote, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now that's pretty sad for, for the king to, to come out with a statement like that. But that was because he did what he wanted to do despite the wise counsel he had received from God. And happiness comes in Seeking wise counsel. Trusting in God. There we go. Forgive me, I'm getting old. So go ahead and ignore Solomon. But you will be sorry in the end. But not only does happiness come from these things, but thirdly, let her see, happiness comes from obedience to God. In John chapter 13 and verse 17... The Lord Jesus is speaking here. He says, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Now, the opposite of obedience is rebellion. If, if, if you don't obey, then you're rebelling, right? There really isn't any in between. If you go to, your, if you go to work and your boss tells you to do this and you don't do it, you're rebelling against him. You say, well, rebellion is such a harsh word. Yeah, it is, but that's what it is. It's rebellion. So if we don't obey, we rebel. Rebellion leads to conflict and sorrow. And conflict and sorrow lead to happiness. To, I mean, lead to, sad, to sadness. So, to obey is the route to happiness. Right? Make sense? It's not my word, it's God's. In fact, the scripture declares that a man who obeys the Lord is blessed. In Luke chapter 11, in verse 28, but he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 28, um, verses 2 through 6, we read, And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shalt be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thine kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. This is a pretty blessed guy. And he's blessed because back in verse 2, it said, If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. See, so many, there's so many Christians that want happiness. They want to be blessed, but they're living in rebellion to God. They, they're, they're, doing all, they're, they're doing the opposite of what God has commanded them to do. And by the way, the Bible states that if, if we fail in one point of the law, we're guilty of the whole. So if we, if we disobey God in one thing, we may as well disobey him in all things. So obedience to God is the road to happiness. Remember, Samuel told Saul that to obey the voice of the Lord is better than sacrifice. So by faith, we live with hope. By faith, we walk in happiness. And then, number three, by faith, we work with confidence. We work with confidence. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 26, again quoting Solomon, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place, have a place of refuge. Now, let me set the stage. Two people are doing the same task. One seems to struggle and is very troubled at trying to complete the task he's given, while the other seems to have no difficulty at all. Both have the same training, and both have the same abilities. Yet one excels, while the other struggles. Now, given that scenario, I would deduce that the problem is one of confidence for that man who seems to be failing. Uh, Confidence is a matter of trust. And the psalmist stated in Psalm 118 and verse 8, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. The faith that God has given us, that God has given us, enables us to trust him even though we cannot see him. And this is because he proves himself, he proves himself to us in many ways. So we can have confidence tonight. We can have the confidence to do the work we've been called to do. I can can stand here and teach this lesson tonight, not, not by any abilities of my own, but by the ability given unto me by God the Father and by the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit. As I study and as I choose the words to say, I yield myself to God and I am able to do the work. Why? Because I have done this enough times now to know that God will come through. That he will, that he will bless me and he will enable me to do the work I need to do. And this is confidence. 
The pastor would come to one of you tonight and say, I'll I tell you what, can you, can you preach a Wednesday night for me? 99% of the people would say, no, 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 no. But you see, if, if God calls you to do something, he enables you to do it. And you must trust him and you must, you must yield to him. But we can have confidence tonight. Now let me share just a few thoughts with you concerning this confidence and we'll be done. First of all, we can have full confidence tonight in God's promises. In Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 we read, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Now in our hearts... We say that we believe God's promises. But unfortunately, often by our actions, we deny this very thing. Now, I'm not trying to be critical of anyone that, that, you may, come, that may come to mind when I say this. I'm not trying to criticize. But I've, I've known individuals, not just in this church, but in other church. I've known individuals who moved their families away from where they were simply because they doubted God's ability to provide for them there. Now, I'm not trying to say tonight that it's wrong to move. I mean, we moved from Louisiana to here. So I'm not trying to say moving is is wrong. But if you are going to move... Don't insult God by saying he cannot keep his promises to provide your needs where you are. I mean, I realize there are reasons to move. You know, job transfers and and things like that. But I I have known people that that have jobs in churches, that fulfill positions in churches, that take off and leave because they don't believe that the best place for them is here. That they don't believe that God will provide what they need in this place. Who do we know did that in the scripture? Come on. His name is Elimelech. Hmm? There was a famine in there was a famine famine in Bethlehem. And Elimelech said, Well, we gotta leave. We gotta go to Moab because there's jobs in Moab. And he picked up his family and he moved to Moab. And what happened? He died. His two sons married heathen women. Then they died. Naomi changed her name to Mara because she was bitter. And if if Elimelech would have just trusted God and stayed put, God would have honored his promises to him. His promises to provide for him, to, to, to give him a place to live, to give him clothes to wear, to give him... To give him food to eat. And by the way, Jesus said, take no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the thing of itself. Sufficient, he said unto the day, is the evil thereof. Jesus said, I'll take care of you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. We, we sing the song. I don't know about tomorrow. There are many things ahead, the song goes. I don't remember the exact quote of it. But one thing that 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 songwriter knew, he knew that God would take care of him. 
And you and I need to learn these things. We need to learn to have complete trust and confidence in God's ability to keep his promises and to keep them where we are. And that gives me confidence I need to continue in the work that God has given me to do. So we we work in confidence. And we have confidence, thirdly, or secondly, letter B, in God's power. Not only, not only tonight can we have confidence in God's promises, not only can we know that no matter what happens, God will provide for us, he will, he will care for us, but what we do need to do is be good stewards of what he gives us and make sure we don't waste it and use it right and, he'll, and we'll be fine. But we can also have confidence tonight in God's power. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus said, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Is there anything too hard for God to do? I've been asked, you you hear this famous uh, question to try to stumble God's man. If God can do anything, can he create a rock so heavy that he can't pick it up? Yes, he could, but it's against his nature to do that. Because his nature is that he can do all things. Therefore, while he could create a rock so heavy that he can't pick it up, he won't do that because it would go against his nature and he would not be God. We can have confidence and faith in in God's power. There is nothing too hard for God to do. In Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 27, we read, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I don't think there is. So keeping his promises to us would be an easy thing, including our our eternal salvation. Now, I've had people, listen to me, I've had people come to me and say, I just don't feel like I can do what God wants me to do. And to that I say, if God has laid it on your heart to do something, Just do it. He has the power to see you through. I don't want to embarrass him, but Brother Tabor, many years ago, I I, I walked up to him one day and I said, I think God wants you to be a bus captain. And Tabor looked at me and said, why? And some weeks after diving into it, he came up back there one day and said, I think you were wrong. I think you were wrong. I don't, think, I don't think God wants me to be a bus captain. And I told him, I said, yeah, well, that's too bad. <laughs> Listen, God can, God can enable you to do what he wants you to do. Parents, you can raise your children. You can do it to love, honor, and worship the Lord. Because he has the power to see you through it. Husbands and wives, you can live in harmony in your marriage because the Lord has the power to see you through. Christians, you can live a godly life before the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord has the power to see you through. The question isn't over God's power. The question is over our commitment. 
God has the power to enable you to do whatever he wants you to do. The question is, do you have the commitment to submit to God and do whatever he wants you to do? Are you clinging to are you clinging to this life and are you clinging to some job? Are you claiming are you clinging to to material things and and you won't let them go so that you can walk and and and, and work in, in confidence for God? There's a lot of things need to be done around here. We need we need we need classes for college and career age people i mean we've got sonoma state right over here i don't know how many students are in there and you got the jc and santa rosa and in in those two schools there has to be there has to be 20 30 40 young people seeking god but we can't get the commitment to do it there are so many things need to be done in this place so much work that has to be done but we don't have enough people who are committed to take, a, take in hand a task and, and go forth with confidence knowing that God has the power to, help, to see them through it. We live in a, in a world today that has, has, has impressed upon people that take care of number one. Well, number one is God. So if we're going to take care of number one, let's get busy. Let's work for the Lord. And we can do that. We can, we can work with confidence in God's power. The product, our products by our faith. To walk, to live with hope. To walk in happiness. And to work with confidence. Christians, tonight I, I, I'm preaching to the choir. I know that. I know that most of you or the people that really need to hear a message like this aren't here. But I got to preach to somebody, amen? And we all need it. As I said Sunday morning, we may want to think we're, we're, we're numero uno, but we're not. We're all very far from perfection. And we all need to learn these things. Not necessarily learn them, but be reminded of these things. Live in hope tonight. Don't, don't live as though you have no hope. Don't live as though you have no direction. Live, in, live in, in a sure hope of eternal life. Walk in happiness. Fear the Lord. Fear him and honor him and, and live for him. Work for him. And then work with confidence. Don't, don't, don't be confident in yourself. Don't be confident in the flesh. But have confidence in the Lord. That if he has called you, he will equip you. He will enable you. Let's pray. Father, all of us in this room tonight, we just, we just need to, to, to be stronger in our faith. I, I fear that our Christian nation is, has become so, so diluted by materialism and by selfishness. We don't have the faith of, we have it, but we don't exercise the faith of, of, of men like Daniel, and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, men like Paul, men like Peter, like John. We, we have the faith that they have because it has been given by you, but we just don't exercise that faith. So help us tonight. Strengthen us. Cause us to, 
open our eyes and, and yield ourselves to your Holy Spirit that we may start to live our lives taking advantage of the products that you've given us from our faith and using them, using them to serve you and to, to be a witness for you and to glorify you. Bless everyone here tonight. I, I thank you for them coming out on a night such as this. And I ask that all that would have been said tonight would have been, would have been used to edify and to glorify. Thank you for this time we've had together. Now we ask you to bless it as we go our separate ways. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.